0: Log Talk Radio Hello, this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, just a brief reminder. Uh, you can also join us live in the chat area and um, you know follow along, put in your two cents, ask a question of our guests. Uh, You know, just basically getting people out there talking to each other and talking to us here on the show. Um, One uh, note, too, also a reminder, I'm going to be broadcasting this show on September 20th from the Annual Conference of the National Association of Telecommunication Officers and Advisors, or NATOA for short, And so all of you public CIOs and government officials and staff that are connected with telecom, this is the event of the year and I hope to see a lot of you there. Our guest today is Ed Heminger. Uh, Ed and I have known each other for about a year now um, in, in this broadband space. He's currently a senior solutions architect with Systems Maintenance Services. But it is in his previous life as the Ontario County Chief Information Officer, uh, a post he's had for, had for 15 years from oh, 1996 to 2011. That's where uh, we first met because uh, among his various duties, you know, he was responsible for uh, technology issues in economic development activities countywide, specifically as it pertained to telecommunication bandwidth availability. And this is sort of gives you a key into his uh, role and why it made sense that he was also appointed to be the chief executive officer for Access Ontario, which is a $7.5 million not-for-profit public-private partnership uh, corporation that was established to build an 180-mile fiber optic ring around Ontario County in New York, that connects its police, fire, healthcare, municipalities, and businesses across the county. So, um, whew, and then just to put an icing on the cake here, uh, Ed also was just a couple of weeks ago appointed as a member of the Board of Directors for Access Ontario. And since Ed clearly doesn't have enough to keep him busy, he's a member of the New York State Governor's Council on Broadband Development
1: and Deployment.
0: Ed, thanks for being on our show because clearly. No, I'm you not are sure. busy now I,
1: after hearing it, I'm not sure I have time, but uh, I'll <laughs> do my best.
0: You know, we'll we'll soldier on as best we can and hopefully the president won't call while we're here. All um right, we'll do our but rest. I would understand if he does call then you have to go take that call and we'll just we'll soldier on there. But um mm-hmm. let's jump in. Let's jump in, let's start talking about your fiber project. How did all of this get started?
1: Well, it actually started uh, at the table in my office when um, we had a vendor talking uh, to me and we started talking about broadband in general and the state of broadband in Ontario County. And the vendor basically said, you know, Ed, we do a special um, project for counties where we will go out and we'll map where all your fiber is around the county. So having just basically looked at that in general and found we had some problems, I was able to convince the powers-to-be to to fund and secure this contract where we did the study. And, of course, the study did prove exactly what we thought, that Ontario County had five separate phone companies, two area codes, two cable companies, and a significant uh, difference in um, how Broadband was presented across the entire county. So that kind of started everything, and we then did business plan and came up with a a positive cash flow type business plan and said, okay, let's do it. And we went from there.
0: So the question probably that would pop into a lot of people's mind is if you had five different uh, providers, it sounded like this was not a case of a lack of competition or – Or or am I reading the situation?
1: You're reading it wrong. We had five incumbents. That meant the area was broken up into five separate areas where we each had an incumbent. We had almost Uh no competition, so it was just a you know 105,000 people divided up amongst four or five different phone companies, and it was a real mess. So to go from one end of the county to the other cost a lot of money because you had to go through two or three different phone companies. And probably cross a a a ladder boundary whereas an area code, which certainly costs money, so it was extremely expensive to do business within the county
0: mhm interesting so now when you uh you did the plan, you discovered okay that indeed this was a situation and it was a problem Who were the major stakeholders that? that helped drive this or, or you mean was it the government or were was there other folks involved in this study that said you know this is a problem for us uh in our little world here
1: well we we started basically with government but we we quickly moved into some um local groups we created a broadband coalition group with chamber of commerce and some others where we brought some experts in different areas of the county together so we could talk about things in general. Um, and that kind of kept things moving and kept the uh, the concept alive. Government spearheaded it. And I'm not convinced that why that was, other than it was probably more personality-driven than, than maybe um, anything else. And, you know, the only way that any of these projects really get started and really get moving is they have to have a champion, a cheerleader, whatever you want to call it, somebody out there really, you know, doing what needs to be done to make sure it happens. And we had that. We had a great team, myself, the county administrator and the economic developer. And we we led this charge and we said, hey, this is something that's very, very important to to the county and certainly for economic development reasons and um, as well as just general quality of life so uh, we uh, we took it on as a challenge and uh, we were very serious about it and we we kept her moving mm-hmm.
0: so how do you bring um, consensus in a project such as this where you may have a chamber in one city and you may have another group of interested people in another part of the county but you're trying to pull them under one roof here.
1: Well, we did it by letting government take the lead. Um, Government was across the entire county. It was a county government. So Mm -hmm. it was easier to keep it focused because it was at the county level. Certainly there were groups talking about different things here and there, and certainly the city groups talked about more how it affected the cities. The chambers have talked about more how it affected their people. But the county pulled all the pieces together and made it a countywide initiative, and that's why I truly believe we were as successful as we were.
0: Okay. So the they provided the focus that otherwise might have been lost if it had been, say, a group of cities creating some sort of uh, public authority or creating some sort of regional planning group or whatever, some sort of ad hoc approach, I guess.
1: Well, right, okay. and, and you know, it gets right down to it, um, and, you know, Craig, you know me, I'm a little blunt sometimes, but it comes down in that's the right. end to who, uh, to who really starts writing the paychecks and who's, who starts putting money on the line, and the county was the one that did that, and the county took the lead, and since the county put in the initial seed funding, that's who took off and made it happen. I mean, uh, a lot of public groups want to talk about broadband, and it's a great thing, but without the funding to go forth, it's pretty hard. And then once you do have funding, the the funders actually tend to get the lion's share of the focus of who's running what.
0: Okay. And um, That's just reality. Right. No, it doesn't seem to necessarily be a bad thing. I think we have the range of, um, structures driving the many broadband projects. I mean, in Maryland, you have a 10-county effort, and then you have one Maryland, which is the statewide effort, and then you have in other places like in Western Massachusetts, a co-op of cities, and you have a state initiative as well. So it sounds like we're kind of having a mix of, uh, you know, sort of a broad political body being a driver in conjunction with people doing things more uh three to five or six cities or communities uh, working a project.
1: Well, I agree and and honestly, we were fairly I think we're fairly lucky and it. it was a focused one county effort. Uh we were able to keep it very focused. Um when you get multiple municipalities involved, you obviously get multiple agendas. And it does become more difficult, and it takes a much stronger um, support system, a much stronger leadership group to manage it any time you get outside of a a single entity. So um, I would encourage everyone to keep that in mind as you go forth. The more groups you get together, the better it is for funding purposes, but the much harder it is to actually keep it focused and uh, and do it. That's my personal opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I I I can see the the logic in that because of the dynamics and because of, in fact, you know, what I was thinking about, you know, what points to really hit on, you know, one of those is if you have uh strong independent political entities or you have strong personalities at the top of those entities, then you have a potential for um Conflict because it's politics, I mean it's politics at its you know basic exactly. law form, which I'm sure well, is and I
1: would say, and I would very well say that that one of the beautiful things, and of course your the listeners don't really understand about Ontario county, but Ontario county in upstate New York and in the generally in the nation, is a very unique entity, in that politics is not a large player in county government, <clears throat> so we were able to do this in a very non-bipartisan, non-political environment, which, again, made it much, much easier to get things done. And and since we created a not-for-profit corporation and separated it from government very early in the project, once we did that, then we isolated government away from the project and now the project could stand on its own. Certainly government was involved because we had government employees as as workers in this corporation. But by having a separate corporation, we were able to isolate government and politics and all the issues that come with that away from the project itself, which I think is, again, an extremely important aspect of what we did.
0: mm, Okay. So it's a way to um, get all the base, all the core benefits of having the multiple jurisdictions. But from an operational standpoint, you keep things clear and easier to move the ball forward.
1: Well, right. It does two basic things. Number one, it it isolates and protects government from whatever the corporation might do, i.e., failure, et cetera, et cetera. Thus, it thus the government's not on the hook for anything additional. And secondly, it protects the corporation from any political aspects that come along with being directly under a government, i.e., hey, we have a shortfall in funding, so let's charge everybody that uses the fiber ring more money. Those type of things, so that by putting up that, that Chinese wall or that um barrier between government and this corporation you really get the best of both worlds it allows it to actually function and operate as a as a private company even though it's not for profit and yet it still has the best interests of the citizens at heart because government still has an oversight role
0: mhm i can i can see there that um, that can definitely work um And then, if you, my guess would be to extrapolate on this, if you have the the multiple government involvement, while at the same time you have this corporation that's taking care of the day to day operations, that that multi government involvement allows you to pull in stakeholders from within their respective communities a lot easier. In other words, you're not having to necessarily go. Lobby with the the chamber of commerce for city A or city B. That government representation on the board or on the you know on, on the op on the um, group allows you to then to reach out to the various individual stakeholders that are located elsewhere. I'm oh, guessing absolutely. that would be the case.
1: It's, it, yeah, it's really important to to have a wide. Breath of experience on the board of directors uh, from different areas of the uh, the coverage area, certainly of different uh, municipalities, certainly of different um, pieces, uh, types of uh, customers, education, healthcare, you know, manufacturing. So, if you can get a representative from across the board, it's a really a good thing, and, it, and it, it allows the the board to have a, a good insight into what's going on thus it helps with marketing thus it helps with actual management or day-to-day operations because somebody in healthcare can say well gee don't don't forget about this piece or this piece or this piece so
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: um, again a lot depends too on how you manage it we have a dark fiber network um which uh certainly uh is easier to to manage than a lit fiber services network but uh having additional having people on with different levels of experience from different areas of your customer base is extremely important to making sure that you get the uh the right focus of the corporation. Mm-hmm. So now do you have opposition to this project from any quarters? Um Believe it or not, all I heard from the beginning was how everyone was going to oppose what we did. So um, I kind of took the bull in the china shop kind of philosophy. And um, and Craig, you didn't mention that my former job was 23 years in the United States Air Force where I retired Uh as a chief mass sergeant. So (laughs) I took that philosophy and I marched into the corporate boardrooms of all of our incumbent phone companies and basically said, here I am, here's what we're doing, here's how it's going to work, and, oh, by the way, we're not going to provide services, so we're not going to be in direct competition with you. Now you have the opportunity right now to decide to either partner with us or sit on the sidelines and wait for us to build this because it's going to be built and this is the way it's going to happen. And uh, that approach seemed to work pretty well because once you don't compete with them directly for services, it was pretty hard for them to argue about why they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And they had the opportunity to participate. So we took that away from them and basically in the five years it took us to build uh, did not have any opposition whatsoever.
0: Right, okay. And that's a good place to be in considering how much opposition has um when uh, how much opposition has arisen ar- uh, in a number of other places and people have to deal with that and it becomes a distraction and do you get the services out the door much later you guys basically have removed that as a um as a barrier and then clearly because you guys have what is it now 3 4 or more service providers, carriers, and so forth that are using the network?
1: Right. We have three major uh, carriers. Uh, we have a cell phone provider and two C-Lex. We have a number of other c signed up, haven't quite got them on board doing services, but uh, that's the basic philosophy is build, a, build the infrastructure <clears throat> and allow the private sector, the c and the cell, t- cell companies and or private companies to do point-to-point and, and other things and bring them in and let them provide the services. And that's really the uh, philosophy we built on. It was easy to support it. It was easy to defend it. It was easier to fund because it's much less costly than providing services. And, um, you know, we took uh, the wind out of the sails of all the people that were naysayers and said, uh, oh, you're going to do this to the private sector. No, we're not because we're not competing with them for services. So uh, Mm -hmm. we... uh, we uh, we took it head-on, and I think that's a, a good approach to take. You really should get out there and see what those people that are against you. I'd much rather have somebody come up and tell me how what they think is wrong with what we're doing than to tell me everything's great because then I at least know what's out there and what's going on.
0: Right. Okay. So when did you start building the actual infrastructure? I know you finished it in, what, December of last year, but how long did it take you to get to that point?
1: Well, the corporation was formed in two thousand five. We probably strung our first fiber in <clears throat>, 07 and then took a year or so to finalize the funding piece. so we went in we started heavily in two thousand eight and finished in
0: twenty
1: ten hmm. and, and it ended up being about two hundred and ten miles when we got all done with it.
0: Okay, so it's 110 by 2010.
1: Yeah, there you go. All
0: right, a new new bumper sticker for you there.
1: There
0: you go. What uh, what speed is is the network delivering?
1: Basically, whatever the providers want to connect at. I mean, I do know that, uh, you know, uh, the county is using the fiber right now. They just connected a 100-meg Internet connection to it. Um, because that's what they could afford, but that was really easy, certainly over fiber. We could, I mean, certainly gigabit uh, is available. Um, I don't know how many are are spending the money to get it, but certainly, uh, and then, of course, 10 gig is available. So whatever the providers want to provide, uh it's just putting the equipment on the end. So it, it has nothing, there's no limitation other than the speed of light on the actual network itself. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there much expense to move a network from being, you know, basic infrastructure, say delivering 100 megs, to having that same infrastructure deliver a gig or 10 gigs?
1: Just the price of the switching on the end. Now, who's you know, the difference up? between a hundred bag switch and a, you know, gigabit switch?
0: Does the provider that's provide so in other words, does the provider then that decides okay, well, we want to provide a gigabit service? Do they pay for their own switching in that scenario? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, for instance, the county uses it to connect our buildings together, and we uh, we bought gigabit switching. And we switches and we put them in and we connected from this building to that building. Actually, we used a gig out and a gig back to the main core, and then we did a star from there and gigabits out to each of the buildings, all off of the the county or the the fiber ring. And that, that's how the county used it. The hospital did the same thing. They went from their main hospital to a acute care center. They decided to put in gigabit switches, so they lit it at gigabit speeds. Um, Again, we could have certainly put in 10 gig switches, uh, but probably was overkill for both of us at the time, and the the pricing of 10 gig over gigabit at the time was was much different. My guess is today, although I don't know for sure, 10 gig switches are much uh, less expensive than they were a year ago, and they'll be less expensive a year from now. So it just depends on what's the most cost-effective speed to light it at.
0: And and the and the providers pretty much determine that based on their own. Well, the analysis. provider,
1: or if it's a private network like the county created their own private network, they can do what they want. Same with the hospital, mm-hmm. same with the college. That we all all three of us create our own private networks off the fiber. But uh, service providers can do what they want now with the service provider providing internet services. Now they have to turn around and take that speed and aggregate it against their whole infrastructure. So it's a little bit more complex if you're talking internet. Or if you're talking point-to-point networks within the within the system. Okay, I think I followed that. That that makes sense.
0: Now let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about economic uh, development. I've just recently mm-hmm. finished my annual survey of economic development professionals, and I'm just starting to tabulate uh, some of that data. And I'm looking. You know, I expect there'll be some interesting uh, findings from that. When um, you were planning the network, who were the folks that were involved with planning the economic development strategy for the use of that network?
1: Well, Ontario County, again, is a very unique entity. Ontario County had a economic development team concept where the economic development director um decided to use the CIO for the county as his chief technology officer so I functioned actually as chief technology officer for economic development so in that we had a had a team effort where we looked at economic development in many different ways for instance I sat in on most um attraction and retention cases so that technology was at the forefront of all discussions with companies because today every company is a a technology company because they need to have infrastructure. They need to have bandwidth. So it's extremely important to do that. So we had a very good team and uh, the economic development team was part of the fiber ring and the fiber ring team, I myself was part of the economic development team. So it was a, uh, a very good, uh, as a matter of fact, Public CIO Magazine did an article um, called uh, Public CIO Developer-in-Chief uh, where they went out and looked and only found a couple other areas in the entire country where the CIO was actually actively involved in economic development, and uh, we found that to be an extremely important pa- aspect of what we do. So for all the economic developers out there, get your CIOs involved in economic development, and for all you CIOs, get involved in economic development. It can really, really make a difference in how effective your your uh, economic development program is.
0: So they actually do not have, in many places, they do not have their... Is it because they don't see the CIO or they don't see technology in general as a part of the economic development equation?
1: Yeah, I you know, I... I I used to joke with my economic developer that, you know, he couldn't spell IT if you spot it in the eye.
0: Um, <laughs> but,
1: but but it's really, really the case. Technology, I mean, you know, economic development has traditionally been about bricks and mortar mm-hmm. and roadways, water, and sewer. It hasn't really been about telecom. It hasn't necessarily been about power. But, but it, we found very clearly that recently... You don't know you're missing opportunities because if you don't have the broadband infrastructure, they're not even coming to talk to you. So, you know, certainly uh, infrastructure, broadband infrastructure is really important. Uh, Actually, in my opinion, is important or more important than water and sewer today, Um, as well as uh, certainly the next generation of issues power. Uh, And I think that's really, we found that certainly with the Yahoo Deal here where Yahoo located in uh, the Niagara Falls area because of the low cost power that was available up there. Um, And so you're going to see those types of things continue to grow. But most economic development organizations are not even officially part of the municipality. A lot of times they're contracted out. And we don't know of any other economic development entity that has a chief technology officer. On board, certainly involved in day to day operations such as attraction and retention cases, which to us was very essential
0: so let's let's talk about this in a little more detail so retention obviously retention of the businesses was uh an important part of the planning process. Were there other main objectives for economic development based on the fiber infrastructure?
1: Well, a perfect example would be when uh, when the business development people went to the field to talk to a company. Um, they would take information about the fiber ring with them. Or if they were big enough or there was enough interest, uh, potential interest, they would actually take me physically with them. And I would sit down and talk about economic development issues with the companies so that they understood that we had fiber that it's getting really close to where you are. These are the service providers that might be available to help you reduce your costs. And thus we're bringing competition into the area. And, And companies saw that as a positive. Some of them looked at expansion because of that. Certainly new companies coming in were blown away by the fact that Technology was even a discussion in an economic development room because typically economic development discussions are not focused on technology and they don't have somebody who can talk ones and zeros and telecom speeds and and those types of things. So we we took it very seriously and um, it, it worked very well for us
0: i can i can see that i mean i've obviously i have a bias and have been following technologies (laughs) since forever so you know clearly i can i can see this but i can also understand why this would have an impact particularly if you have a track record of not of that not being part of the 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 discussion and uh... which was one of the reasons why i decided to start talking to Economic development professionals to kind of get an idea. Well, where do they stand on on this? But how do you how do you bridge that? I mean, who who has to take the role within a county or a municipality to get both parties in the room? The the, the economic
1: planner. Well, and I, the... I think it's think it's twofold. Number one, economic developers should invite their CIOs to come in, and if they don't come, then they should be a little bit more persuasive to get them to the table. On the other hand, IT directors, CIOs, you know, I kind of told the guy that replaced me, I said, Sean, I says, go sit at the table until they kick you out. It's just that simple. You know, it's really important. I'll tell you why. Go sit at the table, become part of it, and you'll be accepted. But it's a lot easier to sit in your office and not get involved because it is extra work. It's extra stuff you have to do. But it depends on how important you think it is to the overall mission and the overall quality of life of the county. I took it very seriously and got in there, and it was a combination. Once I was invited to one meeting, I think, in the very early days, I just never left the table. I just sat there. They never kicked me out. And today we have 210 miles of dark fiber circling the county, and it really kind of started there.
0: That is very, uh, definitely very visionary, and I guess it's, I, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, looking at this for a second, trying to say, okay, well, if I'm giving advice to others, do I say, well, you go to economic development and you kind of pry them to to do the outreach and get the IT people there, or do I go to IT and say, look, you know, you guys have to be there, and who has who has the ability? Andrew, yes, to, I mean, both you know who has the true but then but who has the influence i mean our most economic development operations i mean you mentioned earlier that they they could be outsourced um yep. right so if you have a case so the it first people work for the government directly in most cases mm-hmm. so there's clearly a line of uh leverage you know either you go to the mayor or you go to the the um city administrator or or the equivalent you know to exactly try to, put the pressure in from that perspective. But are are economic development people open, or is this going to be something of a hard sell on the economic development side to get those people to say, oh, yeah, we need to bring the techies in?
1: It really depends on the people. It all comes down to people. Some are visionary enough to see it. Some are not. Um, You know, um, in my opinion, if it's an outsourced uh, economic development organization, they should hire an IT person. I mean, hire a CTO. No, it doesn't have to be full-time. It could be part-time. Mm-hmm. Bring a CTO kind of person onto the board of directors. Um, do something to have access to somebody who knows about technology in the area. It, it's really important to have that insight. If nothing else, where you can sit down and strategize, if you can't get them there day-to-day to meet with, with prospective customers or for attraction retention, at least have them involved in strategic planning, and in and how the, the you know you're setting the goals of the organization, so that you can at least talk about it. I mean, every economic developer out there should become fluent, being able to talk about it. Bandwidth, gigabit, you know, terabit. Understand the philosophies of what or the the intricacies of what's going on, what's available in the community what are the telcos providing how many telcos are there those are the kind of things that just the same as water and sewer you have to be able to show i mean we took and took our initial pro- program where we where we put all of our uh fiber into a database and now we could do a GIS printout of any location in the county telling you showing you exactly graphically where the fiber was where you know who, what central office each building fed off from, you know, all of those kind of telecom information pieces was in a database in GIS, where we could pull it up and print it on for a customer and show them, and they'd go, "Holy cow!"
0: So you can so when you can show people the the very specific tie between the technology and the economic development, is that what you're saying? Well,
1: the the beautiful yes, the beautiful thing is in at least in New York, and I can't speak for certainly other areas of the country, New York will never be the cheapest place to do business, let's be honest. With their taxes, with the weather, with other things, we're not necessarily always the optimal location to go to to do business, certainly not the cheapest. Well, if you can't be the cheapest, there's only one other option, and that's to be the very best And we are and can be the very best by having the best infrastructure, having the best economic development team that knows what the heck's going on, and we can become the best. If you're not the best and you're not the cheapest, then you're just all of the rest of the gaggle in the middle, you know, trying to feed on the same type of stuff all the time. You have to set yourself apart from the rest of the mundane everyday groups And Ontario County chose to do that by establishing a world-class infrastructure where we can be globally competitive in the telecom space, along with an economic development team that understood the needs of companies and the technology needs by including their CIO as a chief technology officer. That's how you set yourself apart and become separate and distinct. When you can now become competitive, unlike, I hate to say, 80%, 90% 80%, 90% of the rest of the, the the country who is still wallowing in the middle, not the cheapest, certainly not the best. So now what do we do? Well, you make yourself the best or you become the cheapest. There's no other real choice to become truly competitive.
0: And then broadband leads to that.
1: Broadband certainly is a player, and certainly it's not only thing, but, but it's certainly, from what we're discussing here, a major, major player today um, because any company needs – big broadband, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, a perfect example is because of our fiber ring, Ontario County was one of the very first areas included in the Verizon 4G rollout. Now people say, oh, big deal, what's 4G? Well, 4G is pretty big deal. Now in a mobile application with 4G technology as Verizon has deployed it, you can do a lot more from mobile application standpoint. Now, that's important. And the fact that little old sleepy Ontario County got most of the county covered with 4G was because Verizon Collected connected almost all their cell towers in Ontario County with our fiber optic cable. Now, so people will go back and say, well, you know, hey, to me it's critically important if you're – Competing with Raleigh-Durham or Austin, Texas, they got 4G. Now we have 4G. So now we're on a level playing field, at least in that aspect. So now we just need to continue to work on the other pieces.
0: Right. Okay. So if you were to define the expectation, in other words, we've, you know, saying we as a county have invested this money to build this infrastructure. We have the following expectations. What would those in terms of economic development? What would those expectations be?
1: Well, we weren't. I mean, we were certainly cautious about our expectations, and certainly know that it takes time to develop any economic development program. But but our expectation was is that we would in, we would improve our retention rate meaning companies would stay in the area because of the competitive infrastructure that we're providing, and that we would be able to attract additional companies to come into our area because of the competitive broadband situation and the bandwidth issues. And I think we are beginning to see that. It doesn't happen overnight, certainly. And the fact that Verizon Wireless is using us, that's an extremely important piece of it. The fact that we have a couple other um Two CLECs using it is important. Why would I love to have five CLECs using it? Of course, would I like to have all my cell towers in the entire county connected with fiber? Absolutely, but it takes a while, and it t- it needs to grow, and it 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 doesn't certainly happen as fast as as I like things to happen. I like you know I I kind of have two speeds on or off, and on is <laughs> full speed, of course. So yeah. so it just takes a while, and it takes a growth pet time, but. But I think if, if, in my opinion, the thing that's changed most drastically in Ontario County is the fact that Ontario County now, in most aspects, is considered a visionary county with not only the ability to have a vision, which is always great, but have the ability to make it happen. I mean, you know... Um, it's great to have the vision, but you have to be able to put something behind it and make it a reality. And Ontario County has done that. And that's why there are thousands and thousands of areas around this country and around the world talking about broadband. And Ontario County talked about broadband. The difference between Ontario County and most of the other places is we did something about it. That meant we committed funds we committed resources and people, and we, we really made it happen. And I think that's the difference, and that's the piece that everybody has to understand. We're, people have been talking about broadband in communities for 10-plus years. It's time to make something happen, figure out how to get it done, find the right people, the right funding, and make it happen.
0: Right, so it's basically putting the action where all the talk has been. So Now, let me explore one of the questions of the survey, which is um, I look at broadband in, in a couple of areas, their ability to increase the number of businesses coming into an area, keeping businesses in an area, and actively improving the competitiveness and profitability of existing businesses in an area. Um, of those three, which, which one or one should have the priority, do you think?
1: All three equally. It's extremely important to have a multi-focused approach to economic development. You need to attract new businesses. You need to keep the businesses that you have and certainly grow the businesses you have. Bringing in a new – I mean, the worst-case scenario in my personal mind is that all the time – spending economic development is about bringing in new companies and you got old companies going out the back door i'm not sure you gain anything that way you can bring in great new companies give them great tax breaks and everything but if you're not keeping them here and they're going out the back door you just it's just a revolving door you need to turn around and stop the exodus you know it's kind of the concept of you know trying to keep young people in your area well it's the same with businesses keep your businesses in your area keep them happy Ontario County has one person that all they do 40 hours a week is visit companies talk to them about economic development programs what do we have for workforce development what do we have for you know anything else we can do for you do you need information on the fiber ring you know how can we help you in any other way type of thing are you you know What are you looking for? What can we do for you? Do you need, you know, one of the other things that I personally did was I helped companies connect business to business within the county. A perfect example of how technology can help economic development is we had a company in a small rural location, and they were talking about moving within the county, and there were some IRAs outside the county they were looking at. And when we started talking, we found that, They talked about having a power outage and that their power outage uh, would take them down for two days. And I says, well, don't you have UPSs and stuff like this? And they said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, who does your support? Well, we're in Central New York outside of Rochester. They had their support out of Buffalo. And I says, well, you've got one of the largest uh, Citrix value-added resellers right here in Ontario County about five miles away, who could probably provide the support for you better, faster, and certainly cheaper than going to Buffalo. Well, come to find out, they hooked up together. The company then became actually the the full IT staff for this company, and they actually did move within Ontario County, closer to their IT provider. So that, again, was a way that technologists, because I knew what was going on in the entire county and region can help economic development by putting business with business to allow them to be more successful within the county. And so there is no single one which is better or than the other. You have to take care of all three legs of the stool at the same time or you're going to fall over.
0: Now, what about the program's uh, support mechanisms? I mean, you started to describe – you know one of those you, you go out and you talk to people and you introduce them to other resources because none of this mm-hmm. stuff happens in a vacuum i think we pretty both of us are pretty agreeable to that mm-hmm. one that um you know just building the network isn't going to get it done no. but what kinds of programs especially from a county perspective cuz i think people may be able to put their their minds around the city stuff maybe a little bit easier but if you're talking a county wide network what kind of county driven programs or support functions need to be put into place if you 're going to
1: achieve the economic development
0: goals that you're hoping for?
1: Well, we looked at it from a strategic standpoint and we we had a technolo- we had a what we called a technology led strategic plan it was very focused on technology so we We took all the different aspects matter of fact, not only was I the Chief Technology Officer for Economic Development, but our workforce development folks, the folks that did workforce type training and and helping people get employed, actually became part of this team also. So when we went into a company, we would say, okay you got i t issues talk to Heminger you got uh, workforce issues, talk over here to Brian." And we'll take care of taking care of all your stuff. So we could go out and say, you know, we've got some money from the state of New York. We know there's money for OJT, and here's what we can do to help you with a program so you can train some of your people better, get them up to be more productive. So now you can do some better things. Oh, by the way, we also have a fiber ring. If you've got two locations in the county, you can go point to point, put a switch on either end. It'll cost you almost nothing. And, oh, by the way, now you can actually increase the speed and you can actually run your entire phone system from one building instead of having to have two separate phone systems and on and on and on. So uh, it's a multifaceted approach. You have to take care of the the companies. You know, we certainly have talked to venture capitalists trying to get venture capital into the area. We try to hook people up with, with venture capital. I mean, well certainly the ca- the county had uh, loan programs where you could you know we could borrow, we could loan some money for certain things for a company to either come into the area and or expand we had sales tax abatements we had you know property tax issues we, we had as many tools in our bag as we could we were allowed to in New York state and we used every one of them as efficiently and effectively as we could because it's extremely important to make sure that we can set ourselves apart as one of the best areas to do business in the country.
0: Okay, I can see the definitely. There's logic there. Let me throw out something it's, uh, that uh, happened recently in Kansas City. With uh, you know, Kansas City is going to be the recipient of the Google uh, Gigabit Network. So for two days, uh, Google and a local organization, uh, I believe it is, um, I, don't know if I can't think of it, I'll come back to it, but the, the the local organization and Google set up an office where any business, any like uh, sole proprietor, two-, three-person operation, any business that did not have a website, you showed up in this office, and they on the spot talked you through and set up a website to get your business going, and I think they got, oh, supposedly anyway, about 2,000 folks cycled through there over a two-day period. So you have all these people who, weren't, who were not doing business but not on the web for whatever the reason. Google and the city, or not the city, but Google and a local nonprofit say, okay, we'll move businesses on. We'll, like, physically put them on board is this a good thing is it a limited value exercise
1: how do you how do you view something like that oh i personally would view that as positive i mean obviously my my concerns would be follow on support and you know <clears throat> if they didn't have a website already were they really ready for a website and will it really be productive for them but if you take 2000 and 20 of them become profitable because of that, that's a phenomenal thing. I mean, I mean, you know, it's not rocket science that everything is done, you know, in that manner today. And if you don't have a website, I don't care what you're selling, you know, so you got to do that. So I think anything you can do to help the businesses be more uh, competitive is a great thing. I think you know we we have some areas here where where there's been people put together. Uh, what do I call them, like areas where companies can come in and rent uh, a cubicle for a day where, you know, in case they need to get out of the house, their home-based businesses, they can get out of the house and do something because their kids are home for the holidays or whatever. They can come and do that. We, we've got some of those kind of innovative things going on. So anything you can do to help businesses be be productive is a very, very good thing.
0: Okay. So, um, and I'm interested, I will be doing a follow-up with them actually to find out how these turned out. Because one of my concerns also was the, you know, you get somebody online, which is great, and they're excited for about two weeks, and then all of a sudden they discover that they can't do X or they can't do Y, or someone tells them about a new feature. Who's there to support them?
1: Uh, because well, you huge, you open the, the door for
0: potential, yeah. you know. Well, so and, and,
1: and probably the other worst case is, is, can they handle the business as it goes into that realm can they handle the increase in in potential volume how do they handle it or do they end up making more unsatisfied customers out of the whole process you know so there there's a lot more to it than just creating a website and i hopefully there is some training that went along with this in how to effectively use websites and how to Modify your business to use websites because it's not necessarily as simple as just creating a website. In my personal opinion,
0: right, and I agree 100% that you, you, there are a, a multitude of issues. One of the first, which is the most counterintuitive, is oh, we'll get all this great new business, but if you haven't planned for you know uh, an onslaught of new business, all of a sudden this is no longer this is no longer a good thing uh let me add, pose another question right We talk a lot about uh bringing in businesses uh bringing in companies, helping companies that exist. They may have twenty they may have a hundred employees get better um How much can or should a county manage a process by which you actually want to try to create an army of home based businesses? Is that doable? is it logical?
1: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think you have to cover all the bases. I mean, there's home-based businesses are are fantastic um, with more bandwidth and with more capacity to the homes. It's going to it, there's going to be more and more of that. Certainly, with the number of unemployed today, there should be more and more home businesses. The real question we will boil down to is: Are the people in the home businesses? Capable of that transition. It's not necessarily an easy thing. I mean, I'm currently working in sales. I could work from home all day long. I'm smart enough to know that that's not the place for me to work. I need to come into a structured (laughs) office environment and I need to come into my little desk in the office, and that's where I am the most productive. I know that. That's me personally. Other people can work from home fine. So I think there's, you know, uh, where, where economic development comes in is. Economic development can come in and help provide some quick training programs for home based businesses, help put home based businesses together so that they can actually work amongst each other. Because home based businesses that just work in an island and just isolate themselves are probably not as productive as those that communicate with others and that, that work that. So I, I think home based businesses is a very, very large growing piece of the puzzle, but again, everything fits together in the puzzle. Home-based businesses, small businesses, big businesses, new businesses, old businesses, even businesses that are leaving. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but you got to address the people that were employed and, you know, the facility, you know, that may just be an opportunity to bring in even a bigger, better company. So, You know, it it all works together, and that's why you have to have a strategic plan. It has to be focused on today and tomorrow's needs, actually tomorrow's needs. And that's why our technology-led economic development strategic plan was so important. You can't focus on yesterday. You can't focus on bricks and mortar. You can't just focus on water and sewer. You need to really focus on the next phase of where everything's going and what people need. Right, right.
0: Let me ask this question. One of the, I wouldn't say complaints, but when people criticize broadband networks, particularly when they criticize uh, government involvement in public-private partnerships or outright government ownership, they will say things such as, well, you can't draw a direct correlation between the broadband network and economic outcomes. And, you know, it's always that prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, you know, because we don't believe that's true. And so, you know, you can't make a business case based on economic development is what the critics will say. Do you have milestones, like measurable milestones or quantifiable milestones in your plan that says by this year we expect to have X that is directly attributed to having the network?
1: Well, I would say no, and, and I'm not sure that, Anybody in their right mind could try to even approach that because everything is a homogeneous mix of what's going on. I mean, if you've got a rural area that's got broad, that's got the best fiber in the world, and you don't have water, sewer, power, or a building, I'm not sure you're going to get companies there anyway. So it, it's a mix of all. You got to have the employees. You got to have the environment. You got to have the quality of life. You got to have. I mean. Economic development isn't easy. It's all the pieces put together. And some of it's as simple as a company coming and beginning to be started because somebody grew up in the area and they want to come home. Or somebody saw something somewhere and said, hey, that's," a, or drove through and, and vacation somewhere and said, gee, I'd like to start a business there. There are so many intangibles or other pieces that you don't know. But the point is you address as many of them as you can. You address tourism. You address you know, the quality of life. You address, you know, the infrastructure, all of the infrastructures, including the broadband. And you do your very best. Um, I'm not convinced you can isolate out broadband or anything, water or sewer or road infrastructure infrastructure or politics or anything as as one thing that made a difference. They all combine to make a choice to do business in an area.
0: And that, to me, would then call for a counterargument to the critics to say, look, uh, no, you can't draw a direct line between broadband and certain economic activities with broadband alone. But the same is true for schools, and it's the same for libraries, and it's the same for roads. And you're not going to stop building roads, are you? You're not going to stop building schools, are you? You know, it's like... You know, if, if we follow your train of thought because there is no direct line, then we wouldn't do any of these things that in the in the aggregate all contribute to businesses coming into a community.
1: Well, and I would say no, I, I completely agree with that. And and the reason that, that critics say that is because they don't understand technology and uh-huh. they don't understand the impact of technology. If they understood technology and the fact that it is just an enabler and it's nothing magic. Then, then they would understand the bigger picture. But the problem is, most people don't understand the technology. They don't understand the value. I mean, I can't remember. I can't. Uh, I had a CFO of a major research facility look me square in the eye. This was in two thousand five, and say, Ed, why the hell would I want fiber when I've got dial up at home and it's fast enough for me? <laughs> but but that's oh. the mindset you have to deal with sometimes because they just don't get it that that there are others out there that are streaming things then there's companies that need big bandwidth they're t- passing huge files of MRI data or X-ray data I'll tell I'll end here with a little story where our hospital connected to the urgent care facility and before what they would do is they would take their, their x-rays and they would put them in a, in a box and somebody would come down at noon and pick them up and bring them up and read them and then they would take them back, go back at, at 5 o'clock and pick them up and go and read them twice a day. And uh, they hooked up with, with our fiber, put gigabit switching on either end. A three-month-old child came in with a, with a problem to a pediatric area of this acute care center, went over. And got an X-ray, came back, came into the physician's office, and he had in front of him on his laptop already the reading on that X-ray, and he could give a better care, make a better care decision for that young three-month-old child, because he had the information in front of him, and had to, instead of having to wait 24 hours to get the reading on that X-ray. So, does fiber optics make a difference in quality of life? The answer is yes, it can. And that's really the bottom line. Mm-hmm.
0: I must say I'm following up on that one. Let's—we uh, <laughs> got about a minute left. No pressure, or anything. But in a minute, can you give two top tips for communities uh, how they can make their broadband infrastructure an effective economic development
1: tool? Partner technologists with economic development and. Create and with that, make sure that that team is really the champions for what you want to do. It really boils down to having technologists and economic developers working as a team, and then being out. There. And so the second piece is being out there as a champion. I mean, I, I tell people that it takes roughly three times before when people hear the story. Before they actually start to understand it just enough to say, "Oh, I think I'm starting to get it. You have to tell the story over and over. I eat so many rubber chicken dinners at rotary clubs and chambers of commerce and any place that would listen to us talk. you gotta get out there, spread the word, be evangelist what be an evangelist for this whole concept, and that's the only thing that will make it really work in your communities, in my opinion,
0: great." uh this has been a wonderful conversation more people need to have conversations like these i want to thank you for for coming in today and uh and educating our audience on the on this topic um and hopefully we'll do this again in one day um, thank you very
1: much you know me i'm there anytime you need me all right and finally i want to thank our uh
0: media partners GigaOM, broadband communities magazine miniwireless.com and community broadband networks we'll see you again next show have a great day